house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. We're leaving in June. Baby's due in July to Antwerp in Belgium. You're moving 3,000 miles away from your grandchild. Oh, I think it's more than 3,000, isn't it, Cherry? Oh, I think so. You know, we don't have to stay here. Well, where'd we go? We agree we need to be near someone we know, so we could go anywhere we want. Wow. I have been searching. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that had a real good time aboard the monkey business. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my stroller-hating Earth mother, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Uh, I don't want to push my child away, but I now want to push you away. <laughs> if I, I, all these nice people in this movie, you have to make me Maggie. It's John not all nice people. She's not the only not nice person in this movie. I mean, I, okay. What's worse? Are you equate? Would for you to equate me to Maggie Gyllenhaal's character? Or Alison Janney or Jim Gaffigan's character. Gaffigan, I think, is so funny in this. Like Gaffigan, every yeah. single line reading that Gaffigan gives when he's when he talks about insurance for insurance, and he goes for insurance. <laughs> it's so it's it's very funny. Um, we'll I, we'll we'll get into everything that I love about this movie. But no, watching this movie once again, and this is probably my like eighth or ninth time watching this movie. Um. Maggie Gyllenhaal, every single time, I'm like, she should have gotten Oscar nominated. I know why she didn't. I know that, like, that was never really in the cards. And but- that that whole sequence of the movie, I think, is a lot of people's hang up with this. Like, the, it, it's, uh, the best it's the one that they can the hang all of their complaints about the movie on. I guess, and- but, like, it's so funny. It's so incredibly, she's so good at playing that. I saw a little interview. She had done like a junket, uh, for the movie around the time. And it was just sort of like a, like, uh, almost like a super clip of her responses. You didn't really even see the questions, but you could tell what the questions were by her responses. Right. 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 And she was like, she's like, it's not like I am this person, but I do realize that I have some of this person in me. And I'm like, I love the honesty, Maggie. I really, she definitely knows a lot of those people. That's what she said. She's like, I've encountered a lot of these people in my, in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. And I was like, yes, Maggie. Yes. I, I also fully forgot that that couple lives in Madison, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. uh, Because in my mind, they were just Brooklyn. Because, like, that was, like, the cliche of the joke, right? But really, it's like, well, they're in Madison, Wisconsin, because we need to get them up to Montreal. So, like, what's on the way? Right, but Uh, it's also a college town. It's also sort of, like, that kind of thing. She's uh, in academia. College town on the verge of hippie college town. Right, right, yes. Um... Yeah, it's uh, the episodic nature of this movie really appeals to me, but it also really um, 
contributes to finding this movie on like HBO halfway through because mm-hmm. with each successive vignette, it gets better and better. I feel like I think this movie quite intentionally sort of builds and builds and builds and each different location they get to mm-hmm. is um, giving you more and sort of um, feeling a little more uh, impactful and then ultimately earnest by the end. And the culmination of it at the end always gets me. It always gets me. I will talk about it when we talk about why this movie didn't really succeed as much. It's not like I don't get why people who don't like this movie don't like it. Mm-hmm. I think their points are well articulated. I don't want to say they're like missing the point of the movie, but I do feel like there are certain points of this movie that don't not necessarily that people don't get it, but like I just see it fundamentally differently. And mm-hmm. because of that, it works for me. Like, I think a lot of people, what they see as smug and condescending, I find to be like fairly relatable anxiety, sort of writ large and made comedic. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Where, yeah, I can see that. And I want to I... talk about that after the plot description because yeah. we'll, we'll, <laughs> um, we'll get into that. But I think also, I think. This movie is coming at a time when this sort of flavor of millennial person who has maybe the privilege to be introspective starts to grate on people. You'll also like, I love the music in this movie, but this music also was getting to a point where it was starting to really grate on people. This is the sort of like very post garden state, great folky uh, revolution where it was sort of like, you know, Bon Iver adjacent, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. The, mm-hmm. All the music is done by Alexi Murdoch. It's really beautiful. I find myself now 13 years removed from this and sort of on the precipice of doing something else with my life. And I get very nostalgic for stuff that like places me in a very particular moment in my life in that way. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, Oh my God. Like I, cause that's the one thing about this movie that I can't really relate to, which is anxiety about being a parent. Like I'm not having kids. I'm not planning to have kids. Mm -hmm. So like that to me, I don't connect to also a lot of this is about like Verona's parents being, you know, having grown up since college with her parents being dead. And I don't relate to that either, but there are ways in which this movie bridges that, that I find to be really effective and where other people find this movie alienating. I feel completely the opposite. I feel very sort of, um, on a wavelength with the kind of sort of anxiety towards what kind of a person am I going to want to be? You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? That I find not, not navel gazing, but like genuinely introspective. Right. Right. Um, I mean, like it helps that Maya Rudolph is so good. She's Um, tremendous with, and she's particularly good with like what you're describing, like your connection with, the movie is and yeah. i think she gets to do a lot of that i definitely kind of i haven't watched this movie in years oh interesting and i i don't think i've watched it since i've been 
married and like uh-huh. now i can watch this movie as someone who like if we want to go visit friends we're going somewhere we're like we're going to another city for right. the most part right. and uh in the past year of having like gone to different cities to see friends like yeah you i one thing that i think this movie actually does do well is that like when they're going to these different cities that you know I think the movie could be better at, you know, making the location more specific about some of this, you know, where it's like the vast differences between uh, Madison and Montreal, because they're like, uh, in the Montreal sequence, they're like, Montreal is amazing. Montreal fucking rules. And I'm like, it looks a lot like where you just were. Um, (laughs) Christmas uh, Cena in the Montreal scenes is a little, um, when we had George Severus on to talk about the bling ring, he talked about the, um, uh, it's LA video that, uh, <laughs> that Rachel Sennett did. And that's sort of how I feel like Messina's talking about, like, it's Montreal, man. Just like, go with it. Like, go with the we flow. We got pancakes. Man. We got, um, <laughs> we'll talk, we'll talk we about that poutine. sequence. It's, it's so good. Yeah. Um, it's not to dog on that sequence or no, I anyone who loves living in the city of Montreal. Um, I'm sure Montreal is fabulous. I've heard nothing but, but wonderful things about Montreal, and I kind of do want to visit at some point. Um, I'm sure everyone there is just like Melanie Linsky and Chris Messina. Just wonderful people and uh, fun to get pancakes with. But I, what I do think this movie does well is that it does feel like this small little world for the people they're visiting, for the couples that are visiting. It's like everything does feel... And part of it is, you know... it some of it leans heavier like with whatever Allison Janney is doing in this movie. It's right. like Allison Janney is at a like 19 she really is. for her you know, usuals type of shtick. She really but, is. But you know when you're in and out of like someone else's life for a few days it, it the kind of abruptness of what it's like to be in a couple and then you're alone after yeah. you've been with those people. Like they're I guess it's maybe I'm just like out on a limb here, but like no, I think you're right. Does feel authentic to that feeling, you know? Well, there's also I think the movie does a good job of creating Bert and Verona as a unit that have sort of built this partnership where it's it's just them. Like they live in the same they live in Denver because his parents live in Denver, but his parents as soon as you meet them, you're you understand right away that like it's still just Burton Verona. It's you know, it's yeah. Burton Verona as, you know, almost like against the world a little bit. And all these other places that they go to with the exceptions of like with a few exceptions, the Montreal one is slightly different and then when they visit their respective siblings, mm-hmm. it's different. They're close with their siblings. Um you there also is a don't sense see their of, siblings with a romantic partner, but they're talking about a romantic partner. Well, and it's just like the way you encounter people who you know, but maybe you haven't seen in a while, and then you see, you encounter them again, and you're like, were they always like this? Like, you know what I mean? Like that kind of a thing. And and when you couple, sometimes it can be like, oh yeah, they do yeah. that fucking thing that I find annoying. And when you couple that with this impending parental anxiety where all of a sudden they have to be like we need to decide what kind of parents we're going to be so that we cannot fuck up our child and then all of a sudden 
you look at all these other parents and all you can see are the flaws. And I think there is a comedic heightening of that that I think is very intentional and where a lot of people thought that it was smug and mean-spirited towards all of the other non-Burton Verona characters. I was like, no, this makes this feels like how you how you see people when when the purpose of this little excursion that they're on is mm-hmm. what kind of people do we want to be? you all of a sudden get really, really analytical and judgmental about the kind of people you don't want to be. Right. And and I think this movie would lose me if it wasn't as funny as it is. But I also think it's a tremendously funny movie mm-hmm. pretty much throughout um, with a lot of, you know, with a lot of heart and with a lot of um, genuinely emotional moments. But, like, I think each one of the sections has something in it that I think is very funny and i also and i have a feeling we're probably going to disagree on this a little bit i like krasinski in this a lot uh no we don't disagree i mean he's not a performer that i typically like yeah i think i maybe even like him more now than at the time because the office was still running when this came out right yes so it's like it felt like you know he was doing the same thing just with a beard now that you know we're more removed from the office like i can appreciate this performance by itself i think it's a lot goofier i think the office was so you jim on the office needed to be sort of detached and and you know not really caring about what was going on in the office. He was sort of alienated by all of Mm -hmm. that. Right. That was sort of the character. Whereas this, he's just a real goof. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, sure. He's more outwardly that way, but you know, his comedic style, it it doesn't change from these two characters. I would argue, you know, that's, that's why it kind of feels the same, but like, I don't mind his performance. Um, I, I mean, I do think he is, vastly outshined by Maya Rudolph I think, who yeah, I think she's, is she's quite the wonderful yeah. um, and like just exactly what the tone of this movie feels like it should be at any given moment it feels like she's just kind of nailing the tricky balance it has to do like this yeah. is her performance is part of the reason why I do, I'm not among those people that think that this movie is smug because yeah. like I don't think that either of those characters are yeah um, and it's so very much through their perspective. And, I do you know. wonder if, and I, my familiarity with Dave Eggers was not huge when yeah, I saw this movie, either. nor now. <laughs> like, I've, like, I'll read a McSweeney's link when I get linked to it, you know what I mean? But I wasn't, like, an early adopter of McSweeney's. I never read a heartbreaking work of Staggering Genius. I didn't read his, you know, columns or anything like that, or essays and all I really know about him is that he, like, wrote two of my favorite movies of 2009, which, like, <laughs> is pretty good. He sort of, like, earned my eternal loyalty <laughs> for that, kind of forever. Right. So between uh, Away We Go and Where the Wild Things Are. And so I do wonder if some people had brought into this movie a wariness of... Of Dave Eggers. Too. Well, and I think a lot of things that tend to, that people have kind of rolled their eyes at is he, his screenwriting partner is also his wife too. And, right. Vendelivina. You know, yeah. Krasinski is very easily seen as a stand in specifically for Eggers. And although uh, interestingly, 
if you know like what little I know about a heartbreaking work of staggering genius, like the thing about the two dead parents that that Verona has is his. That's right. his biography. So, right. and um, I don't know much about Vendlavita to be able to speak to like her work and how represented right, she same. is in this. But like, right. I do think that that is something people definitely grafted onto totally their feelings of dislike for the movie. Well, and the fact that his most known work was a memoir. You know what I mean? Right. So that they're also sort of used to then taking something that he's writing as autobiography. And mm-hmm. I like, yeah, like you said, I have no problem believing that a lot of this is pulled from their lives, but I don't necessarily feel like it's one-to-one. Um, right. Let's get into the plot description though. And so we can talk sort of more specifically about each little section of this movie, because I, I, again, it's a fave of mine, like unabashedly. I really love this movie. I know it's very divisive, but I really do love it. Um, Chris, we're going to be talking about Away We Go today from 2009, directed by Sam Mendes. Uh, Sam Mendes. I have been going back and forth. Finally, I like did the due diligence of looking up his biography. His father is Trinidadian, so I guess Mendes would make sense. I've just heard it pronounced eight billion different ways since American Mendes. Beauty times. Um, Mendy's like the restaurant that, uh, Jerry Seinfeld promises he'll take that annoying comedian to that he promises a dinner. And you said you'd take me to Mendy's. Okay. Um, directed by Sam Mendes, written by Dave Eggers and Vendel Vida, as we said, starring Maya Rudolph, John Krasinski, Jeff Daniels, Catherine O'Hara, Allison Janney, Jim Gaffigan, Carmen Ajogo, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Josh Hamilton, Melanie Linsky, Chris Messina, and Paul Schneider plus various children of all stripes. (laughs) It premiered in limited release on June 5th, 2009, and opened wide on June 26th, 2009. Chris, I've got my stopwatch ready. Are you prepared? Uh, Yeah, I think I am. It's been a minute, but uh, we'll do it. (laughs) Okay. All right, Chris, your time starts now. All right, Verona and Bert are a uh, couple who discover that they are pregnant when he is going down on her and says she tastes different. Interesting. Uh, Verona, unfortunately, has lost both of her parents since um, they died when she was in college. Meanwhile, they uh, go and see Bert's uh, family who decides, hey, we're not going to help you out with this baby. We're moving to Belgium. So they decide, hey, maybe we need to change our life and we can go to a different city. Let's go meet some people or go visit some people uh, who are around the country and see how it goes. Let's find some places to live. 30 seconds. Anyway, they go meet uh, Verona's old boss uh, and her husband. That is immediately like an absolutely not in Phoenix. Then they go to Tucson where they uh, see Verona's sister uh, and they have like a nice moment talking about their parents. Then they go to Madison, Wisconsin where they meet uh, uh, Bert's cousin who is now a hippie and they are annoying. And then they go to Montreal and they meet their really cool friends who have adopted kids but then they have a lot of drama because there are several miscarriages and they learn about like, uh, you know, how to um uh the how to stick through the hardships together through love uh and then unfortunately they have to go down to miami where they uh meet bert's brother who was just left by his wife and then hey they're really close to verona's old childhood home and then they go and visit it and see it and decide to live there time went up so long ago but it's fine yeah, i just wanted I'm to sorry. let you go it's a wonderful it's, movie it's been a minute um 
I almost want to like take this sort of vignette by vignette as the movie does because yeah. it's worth sort of going into each little section. The you mention the sort of beginning part where it's just Bert and Verona. He is going down on her and she tastes different. And that's how they find out she's pregnant, which she realizes it and then slaps him across the face and he falls off of the bed, which I think is <laughs> once again, like it's just a good start comedically. Um, Jeff Daniels and Catherine O'Hara play his parents. His name is Jerry. She saying Jerry just pulls me into best in show every single time. <laughs> so um, that's really fun. Uh, she asks Verona straight out how black the baby is going to be in a way that, like, isn't laced with menace at all. And yet it's just sort of like, oh, man, like, yeah. you know, right off the bat. I mean, um, I almost feel like Bert's parents are, you know, as like, I, I, we don't really talk about that couple as like one of the visits in the movie but like they there's yeah. as much there of like we don't want to be like them right that's where as it starts there yeah. are any other you know visit well and it's interesting because they're sort of painted as sort of monstrously selfish in this and from mm-hmm. Burton Verona's perspective yeah but you can imagine a different kind of movie where this empty nest couple instead of signing up for two years being sort of de facto babysitters decide to just move to Belgium and it's seen as this sort of like empowering and freeing kind of a thing Um, your hope springs moment or something like that where it's just like they've broken out of their routine and they're going to go to Belgium and but they're also rootless too I think and you know I think the subtext there is that Bert and Verona really want to settle and develop a life somewhere that is actually you know grounded and within a support network and but that uh, they also it's an interesting it's a two-headed thing right they want the support network they want to they want roots they want to move to a place where they know people and will have some sort of foundation and yet they want to you know make their type of family from the ground up right they want to mm -hmm entirely decide the kind of life they want to live, the kind of parents they want to be in a very aughts kind of a way, right? Where right. it's just they, like they're not married, Bert really wants to be married, Veronica's not right. because her parents cannot be there. Right. Um and throughout the movie you sort of see them by canceling it's like, you know, they're drawing the negative space, right? They're canceling all the ways that they don't want to be, they ultimately decide who they do want to be. I just don't think we should be talking about it right in front of the children. Oh please, Bert, just white noise to them. Listen, watch this. Taylor. 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 <laughs> I could keep going on and on. Alright, Chris, we are interrupting our uh road trip across North America. We got a lot of places to go. We got a lot of places to go. Maya's, you know, going to have that baby sooner or later. So we got to get where we're going. But first, we're going to take a little detour into the Vulture Movie Fantasy League because we got some New York Film Critics Circle points this week. And things are moving. I feel like... We who drafted Tar are happy. Well, as I said in my newsletter that went out last week, and if you've uh, if you've signed up for the game, you should be getting my newsletter. If you're not, check your spam filter. Um, Tar needed. This is where Tar really needs to rack up points because, in my opinion, I wouldn't 
count on things like the Oscars to be as maybe a big of a points bonanza as a lot of people are thinking. It still could be. But this is the part of the season where Tar needs to amass their points. And so far, if the New York Film Critics Circle are anything to go by, they are. Uh, best Film, Best Actress, not Best Director. I sort of thought they were going to sweep all three, and I actually thought they would also get possibly Nina Haas in Supporting Actress. So it wasn't that big of a sweep. But I mean, this isn't a group that is prone to a sweep, though. Not lately certainly not in the last you know 10 or so years so yeah i feel like you when you talk about new york film critic circle it's a little bit like before american hustle and after american hustle <laughs> because i feel like the the composition of the new york film critics after american hustle feels uh like a different vibe much more as you say into spreading out the wealth much more into taking um, some big swings with your acting awards or your directing award this year. We saw a few of those. So yeah, probably wasn't going to expecting a tar sweep was probably a little bit ambitious of me, but still best film gets you 20 points in the league. Best actress got you 10. So they led the field with 30 points off of New York film Critics circle. So good for tar. And, as I've noted also in the newsletter, the pool right now is the pool, I always say the pool, the Fantasy League right now, (laughs) is being dominated by people who have picked Tar. Like, if you have not picked Tar, you are not, you are not at the top of the league. And whether that's anecdotal, and it's just like most people just pick Tar because, (laughs) like, overall. um, Tar was a good dollar value, though. Yes, it was. Um, I did not pick it, so maybe I'm speaking from a little bit of a of a, a bitter Betty, but I did pick the second highest point total of New York Film Critics Circle, which was the Banshees of Inna Sharon, which I also thought was a good value. Listen, which got, we who drafted Tar and Banshees of Inna Sharon are You're there. living it up. You're Scrooge McDuckin' it through the through your money bin right now. Yeah. My team moving um, through the ranks. Yeah. Uh, Colin Farrell getting Best Actor. Also, Colin Farrell getting Best Actor for not only Banshees of Vin Sharon, but After Yang, which is a nice little bonus for After Yang, which also did better than I kind of expected at the Independent Spirit Awards. So mm-hmm. if you picked After Yang with a you know nice little dollar value, I think it was just like a five dollar movie in the pool or in the in probably this, not the, even that high, I don't league. think. Give me a second and I can look that up, actually. Um after Yang. You say it's a nice no. It was a two dollar movie. You're absolutely right. It was a very, very uh, we uh, love a two very good value. Movie. So you that's say really it's a paid nice off. little boost for after Yang, though. For the for the purposes of the pool, absolutely. I feel like that's almost a little bit more of. I mean, I'm sure that there were fans of after Yang within that group, but to like, I think highlight his performance in both of those movies just kind of underscores to me how versatile of a performer he is and oh, absolutely gives him a little bit more gas in the engine you know for uh for an, for an oscar campaign yang. i think well i that's that's absolutely not wrong he does show quite a bit of range between those two performances which is pretty great and 
I think we are very, very much in the thick of the precursor season where we are all, especially those of us who have either seen the whale and not liked it, which is you, or not seen the whale yet and are kind of dreading it, which is me, who are kind of casting about for alternate paths to best actor that don't include Brendan Fraser. And I mean, it's about to open that. I think that movie's about to sink like a stone a little bit. um, Once it actually opens and there's more reviews and such. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I still feel like this is one of those things where we could all be talking ourselves into Colin Farrell or Austin Butler or Bill Nye or whatever. And then the, Golden Globes and SAGs and Critics' Choice come around, and it's like, Fraser, Fraser, Fraser. And then we're just like, so I'm still bracing myself for that. We will see if if that goes. Banshees of Inisherin, by the way, also got Best Screenplay from Martin McDonough, which I feel like is a thing that could happen quite a bit. I think it's going to be Martin McDonough and Sarah Polly uh, for the Critics Awards for Screenplay. And of course, then come Oscar time, they'll be in two separate categories. Right. But I think those are your screenplay frontrunners right now, I would say. Um, talk to me about New York Film Critics' big acting surprise, which I didn't see coming, and I don't think a lot of people saw coming. Uh, uh, lead actress Kiki Palmer winning Best Supporting Actress for <laughs> Nope. I mean, I think the at least the tenor in my sphere was people immediately qualifying it, but then immediately qualifying their qualification to say, but I'm happy for Kiki Palmer. Kiki Palmer, who just announced as of this recording last night that she is pregnant. Congratulations to the legend. Um, yeah, she won a supporting prize. New York Film Critics Circle, uh, who love uh, Jordan Peele performances. Um, because they also gave their best actress prize to Lupita Nyong'o for us, uh, which we've talked about. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely a surprising choice. I think this was a surprising choice strictly on the fact that it is a lead performance that they kind of arbitrarily uh, said is supporting. I don't know what your thoughts are. We didn't really talk about it beyond we were happy to see Kiki Palmer be given a prize. <laughs> yeah, I think I love Kiki Palmer. I love Kiki Palmer in Nope. I, you know, I quibble right. with the fact that we're giving her Best Supporting Actress when she's she's a co-lead. And if you liked her that much, just give her Best Actress. Like, Kate Blanchett will be fine. If you, yeah. if you give somebody else Best Actress, I imagine there was probably would have been resistance to that. And this is pr- the path of least resistance, which is sort of how... You know, these category things often go. And I'm happy that she's having a moment. And if this, I will say this. And I know that New York film critics will very loudly and vociferously say that they are not doing this for to impact the Oscar race and, and, you know, and they shouldn't. But if this. Apparently, Universal is also pushing her for supporting, which is dumb. Sure. I agree. If this ends up pushing Kiki Palmer into the Oscar race for Best Supporting Actress in a real way, if this ends up giving her the kind of momentum that um, that she needs to get into that, then it's absolutely... Like, it's worth it no matter what. It's worth it on its face. But, like, all the better if this can get her into the Oscar race. 
Oscar nominee Kiki Palmer is absolutely worth it. I agree. Movie. She's great in that movie. Okay, what do we think of Kihui Kwan as supporting actor winner for Everything Everywhere All at Once? It feels like everybody... I think the chatter around it is just like, this is just the beginning. Like, he could end up, uh, if not sweeping the supporting actor prizes, then at least, like, puts him as the front runner for the Oscar at this point. I understand people saying that. I would maybe pump the brakes because of, you know, two very early prizes, you know, indicating that. However, I mean, like, there is kind of a trend and there is a certain type that works within oscar's taste for supporting actor that like he fits in incredibly comfortably you know it's a sentimental choice he's playing a dad he is a man of a certain age like i i I totally get the logic people are getting troy kotzer vibes is what you're saying yeah yeah i would pump the brakes in this in the same way that i've pumped the brakes on everybody saying kate blanchett is getting a third oscar it's too early to say who is winning for some of these things uh, for for races that are very yeah i think people are eager to make the call which is funny because like picking kiwi kwan at this point is like that's not much of a call right now he's your front runner so like uh you know i don't know um knowing also that the oscars categorically have kind of spread the wealth over the past you know decade or sure. so decade and a half maybe I feel like there's maybe going to be other things that they're going to award that movie sure. for. And like, I feel like if you're calling it for him, you could potentially be calling it for this movie to win like five or six Oscars today. Which, and that's crazy to me. I don't know if it's crazy that that could happen. I think it could happen. I see the possibility yeah. for it, but I'm not sure. calling that many wins. Sure, sure. Um, and then the other big uh, surprise of the New York film critics was SS Rajamuli in Best Director for RRR, uh-huh. which I haven't seen yet, but I haven't is either. supposed to be rad, and I'm looking forward to it now. And I don't know if this puts that film or uh, Rajamuli himself into the director and picture race, but like. It couldn't hurt, and also, this was the time last year where we were like, New York film critics trying to be different with Drive My Car, you know, this will be, you know, such an isolated moment or whatever, and then that ball really got rolling. So, um... That that movie has a campaign behind it that is angling to get in in quite a few ways that I think it could. It would be interesting if it becomes a director nomination, but I do think there's a huge possibility for that movie to be an Oscar yeah. nominee. Somewhere. Yeah, in, in, in a bunch of different categories. So that's cool. Um, so yeah, like I said, you in particular had a pretty good uh, week at the at the Fantasy League with Tar and Banshees of Inisherin. We did get a change at the top of the leaderboard so the the team zoe kazaners had been riding high for the first couple weeks and now ny cinephile has moved into the lead with their team that includes black panther wakanda forever which is uh you know holding it down with box office points all the avatar pickers by the way are just like sitting at the bottom with like zero points right now and are just waiting (laughs) just waiting to emerge from the sea on pandora and uh Take, take They're flight. waiting for the way to. That's right. The, I'm speaking, of course, of the way. The of way water. of water. Um, uh, Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. I'm reading NY Cinephiles team. Uh, Tar Banshees of Inisherin. So obviously, that's where uh, 
uh, those points. After Sun, which also got a Best First Film Prize for Charlotte Wells, which I imagine is the first. I have a feeling it's going to be racking up quite a few of those. I think so, season. too. After Sun is already overperforming my expectations in award season, delightfully so. Um, after Yang is on NY Cinephile's team, we mentioned that. A Love Song, uh, Dale Dickey in A Love Song, which got some Independent Spirit Awards points last week. Uh, Don't Worry Darling. So our friend Katie Rich, who was lamenting having picked Don't Worry Darling for her fantasy team, uh, it is possible to succeed in the fantasy league even while picking the zero point uh, lead weight that is Don't <laughs> Worry Darling for the fantasy league. Um, and then NY Cinephile rounds out their team with X. So I just wanted to give a shout out to our new uh, leader. Uh, also shout out to uh, Vulture's own Allison Wilmore, who is still holding it down as the only staff member in the top, not only in the top 10, I think the only staff member in the top uh, uh, 50 at the very least, um, holding strong in seventh place right now with her team, which is called Triangle of Madness. Uh, also uh, racking up points for Tar and After Yang and Black Panther Wakanda Forever and After Sun. So yeah, another exciting week in the pool. We've got tons of stuff coming up. In the we're We're now in the thick of Critics Awards season. So uh, just in the next week, we're going to get National Board of Review, which hands out their awards on December 8th, and then the Los Angeles Film Critics on December 11th. And then December 12th is a real crowded day because both the Critics' Choice and the Golden Globes decided to play this game of chicken where they're both announcing their nominations on the same day. So that's December 12th, and that's going to be just a flurry of points everywhere. So get ready for that. That'll be fun. We'll have a good time breaking that one down, Chris. Indeed we will. Tar Hive Assemble. All right, back to uh back to back to the road, back to um uh you know, Maya and John and all that uh wonderful Alexi Murdoch Sam music. Mendes. Enjoy. See you next week. Taylor. 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 Um, so from Denver, they go to Phoenix to visit her old boss, played by Allison Janney, and her, I don't even know if henpecked <laughs> is the right word for what Jim Gaffigan is. He's just sort of this, like, blasted out shell of a man who goes to the dog tracks and, like, repeats these weird things about, like, well, that's how they're going to get you, you know, that kind of stuff. He's so, he's so funny. Um, Janney's very over the top in a way that I do actually find... I like I see I've I've met people like this. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I also think there's something to the movie too that the first people that they go visit are a lot A, I mean, there's some practicality to it because it's a former professional relationship. If they are gonna move, they're gonna need to figure out the job situation. Yeah. But also there's something to the first one that it's like what were they thinking of even going to see these people well the interesting thing though is at one point like bert's talking to gaffigan by the track right and explaining that he sells insurance futures and all this sort of stuff and then they look back and like janny's being abrasive but like verona's laughing her ass off and it's like on some level verona appreciates this woman's Mm -hmm. sort of uh boisterous uh abrasiveness um in a way that she doesn't appreciate i'm trying to think of like well like maggie gyllenhaal obviously but you know what i mean but like other people like there's something that like you know verona has some fun in a way that you would enjoy a co-worker 
Right. But not necessarily somebody whose parenting style you would want to emulate. <laughs> so someone you want to go out with on Friday nights to, right. you know, so then they go to movie. Tucson where Verona's sister is working at some kind of hotel resort, a Marriott. Uh is that what it is? It's a Marriott. I didn't yeah. notice that. Okay. So is this part of the uh Danny Collins cinematic universe. Then? <laughs> no, is that... that is Hilton Honors. How I'm dare sorry, you. that's Hilton Honors. How dare I? Yes. Okay. Um, Carmen Ajogo is so wonderful in such so a very wonderful. small part in this movie. The way that not only like she has the big scene where they're in sort of this like showroom bathtub, uh, her and Verona, and she's trying to get Verona to talk about their parents, and she has that great line that I wrote down where she says she's talking about how. Verona's daughter might have some traits of their parents and maybe stuff that skipped a generation. Mm -hmm. So it's stuff that they don't even have in themselves that will uh, express itself in Verona's daughter. And she says, you're bringing them back kind of in a way. And that really gets me. Um, But even beyond that, just the way she like interacts with Bert, she clearly really likes Bert in a way that like a sister-in-law just sort of like appreciates what a good guy her sister ended up Mm -hmm. with. And that to me felt very real. She and Maya Rudolph make sense as sisters. Very quickly, they have this like real believable sibling chemistry especially like that bathtub scene is just so wonderful it's Um, really tremendous and it's one of those things where it's like the people who talk about how smug this movie is and how sort of like unrelentingly mean it is to everybody else they interact with i'm like you're just sort of willfully omitting the carmen ajogo part of this movie then and i would also say the the i mean mostly the back half of the movie like right right um and I don't know, sort of like, it makes sense that they wouldn't sort of root in Tucson either. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, that's not really about anything that she sees in her sister that like, I don't want that. I don't want to be around that. I think it's painful to be around her sister a little bit because Mm -hmm. anything that reminds Verona of her parents is painful. I think that plays into when we get to the end of the movie, because I could see, I've heard some people say um, when they get to the end of the movie and they're like, she's had this giant mansion in Florida this whole time that she's like, why are they looking for a house? But it's like everything that reminds Verona of her parents, whether it's her sister, her old home, the concept of getting married at all, having a baby. Like, that's why she's like very melancholy about at times about having the babies because all right. of this stuff makes her think about her parents and it's so painful for her. Well, she talks about the house with her sister too, because they talk, mm-hmm. they mention at some point the idea of selling it because it sounds yeah. like they had been, you know, leasing it out to businesses. Renters. Or I think they said, I think she mentions renters at some point. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so like, it's, it's not like it's a surprise at the end. Of the no, movie. it doesn't they come out of nowhere, it. but it's also just like, it tracks throughout the course of the movie. That, like, this is not just, like, some small little thing where, like, you know, Verona's yeah. a little bit sad about having lost her parents. Like, it's it's painful enough that she, like, kind of walls off huge portions yeah, she, of her life. Yeah, she avoids it and, like, avoids things that make her basically and, confront it. And one of the things that, watching the movie as many times as I have, when I get to that end of the movie, and so many things about that last scene uh make me want to cry and but also it's just like i have the thought of just like oh she's gonna have such a better relationship with her sister now even than she used to because Mm -hmm. 
like those walls are kind of breaking down a little bit that mm-hmm. that that fear of encountering the memories of her parents is maybe going to break down a little bit and and that's good so anyway from tucson they have to take the train to madison wisconsin because they won't allow verona to fly because they don't believe that she's only six months pregnant again a really like (laughs) funny uh you know interlude in this movie where they I call need, the other I need one that bit almost a little bit because earlier in the movie when verona's like are we fuck-ups i think we're fuck-ups and <laughs> i'm like i don't really know i mean like you li- again the joke is they live in a house with a cardboard window yeah but like i don't necessarily buy them as fuck-ups but like when it's like oh right they're the type of people who can't take care of themselves in that like you maybe should just have that doctor's note to say this is how pregnant you are but she doesn't need it until eight months though that's the thing it's just that like nobody believes her like everybody she you know you think you might have sure preparation of course you know anyone but you also get that woman in tucson who walks up and she's like pregnant and like any day now right and she's like or in three months yeah (laughs) um but the woman at the airline who has walks up and he looks she looks at her and she's like could you turn to the side please it's just uh also that child of the woman in tucson yes who's gonna smother his sister and the mother's like we're gonna go the last thing he says is but i'll try again i was like oh god like that's so terrifying so many of these kids in this movie are gonna grow up fucked up uh maggie gyllenhaal and josh hamilton's kid we'll get to in a mm-hmm. second um but Bert and verona get to live the dream and travel by sleeper car from tucson to madison wisconsin and uh, they get to Madison. One of the funniest things about the Madison part is they're walking on the campus of the University of Wisconsin Madison, and they're looking for Maggie Gyllenhaal's office. And they ask somebody who's pushing a, her kid in a stroller, and they're like, "Do you know where Ellen, whatever, whatever's office is?" And she's like, "Oh, the letters L N L N." And she's like, "Yeah, she's oh, she's in this building over there. You'll she's the one without the stroller." And there's a there's a tone in her voice, and right, so right. Um, you, we meet Maggie Gyllenhaal. You just, how, remind our listeners how we encounter Maggie visually for the first time. They find her in her office, breastfeeding two, two children that are too old to be breastfed. (laughs) One of whom, like, literally is standing on his own two feet and, uh, and welcomes. Like she's a water fountain. Uh, and she's resplendent in her glory in this like peasant top yes. that she's wearing, and she kisses Bert on the mouth too long. She's and... almost holding like grapes in her hand as she like you know there's dra- basically like draped fab like she she feels like she is some type of I don't know uh, Botticelli muse. She's so smugly convinced that Verona's having a boy that like Verona's like no the doctor in the sonogram said it's a girl and she's like I ah, will see about that. Um, <laughs> and then of course she's married to Josh Hamilton because all people who have awful husbands in movies are married to Josh Hamilton and he is just this slovenly hippie haired you know family bed practicing uh they they they're a continuum home is that the the term for it uh continuum parenting um Um, hold on 
I think that's what it is. Um, where they they're very tactile. They don't use strollers because it is pushing their child push away. away? Right. They they all sleep in the same bed. When Verona's like, "What do you do when you want to like?" you know fool around you go out to the car and she's and she goes were you planning on hiding your love making from your children <laughs> do you know how what uh, josh hamilton's like do you know how traumatizing it is for a child to never see their parents love each other like uh, yeah. every single thing that they say is just dripping with condescension it's the most like it's drawn with no subtlety and i right. don't think there was any intention of subtlety in the scene like this is if the movie is sort of a roller coaster, like this is the reach the climax and then you come thundering down Big Thunder Mountain or whatever, where it's just like, and, ev- and everyone's screaming, and it ultimately ends with Bert running around their dining room table with their kid in the stroller because he's so fed up with them <laughs> that he just wants to like reject everything that they stand for. This the kid's con- going to grow up to like. W- like eat McDonald's and love MCU movies and disappoint his parents eat for being McDonald's. He's going to eat like human flesh. Like this is <laughs> this kid is going to no, be No, so I think that up. this is the type of child that is uh, when they grow up, they just want to be as normal as yeah. possible and that's, that's true. that's how they piss off their parents. That's how we that's how we get normcore. That's how we've gotten normcore is right. uh is that kid. Um so like yes, it's over the top, but like that's the the platonic image that I have in my head of Maggie Gyllenhaal sitting at that dining room table with her leg up with like her knee sort of like up at chin level and she's resting her hand her arm on her knee and the wine glass that like very big wine glasses in her hands and her hair is earth mother perfect and she's sort of pontificating about whatever the fuck i'm just like that's perfect maggie gyllenhaal for me i think she's so fucking great in this movie constantly walking a tight rope of anger as well because she'll just start bellowing if anything break shatters this crystal clear image in her head of her perfection and her perfect child (laughs) and like casually racist constantly to verona talking about how your people have such a great oral tradition and that's why like how long since your since your mama left you and this all sort of thing i'm like so condescending about them so anyway they very liberal arts professor burton verona sort of galvanize under their shared revulsion at these two people and basically like levitate on their way to montreal they're so powered by their like hatred (laughs) of these people um well, in the movie, the, I mean, like, I feel like if there's anything that's overly broad about this particular sequence, it's almost, I feel like, because the movie wants that before it does ultimately have, not darkness, but, like, even in Montreal, as, like, we're about to talk about, like, there is, you know, a lot of pain there, yeah. too. So it, it feels well, yeah. to me like the movie trying to, you know, get its last yucks in, in a way that, like, I don't know if it's the. I, I definitely think it's one of the weaker parts of the movie. What is the the Jill and Hall stretch? Interesting. I think it's one of the strongest parts of the movie. I think. I, it's... I, I mean, like, I think the movie doesn't always know how to just like let these funny people that they've cast be funny. 
Um, Maybe. And I don't I think, know. Like, it almost feels like it's uneasy about how dramatic it's going to be. Well, I think that's true. There's definitely... How I think you reach... The movie the gets to its most cartoonish before it gets to its most sort of melancholy. And right. that... And it's most, like, real. Like... Yeah. So, Montreal, they're visiting their college friends, Tom and Munch... I did not realize until this viewing of this movie that her name is Munch. Uh, Chris Messina and Melanie Linsky, who have, uh, is it four adopted children, I believe? I thought um, so, yeah. Or at least four children in the house. Maybe one of them was like a babysitter that they had come over for the night or whatever. But um, family of adopted children and Bert and Verona are absolutely smitten with this image of this family who play together and really love each other and who like this feels very modern feels very much like a family that has built itself up under its own rules and mm-hmm. that's what they want and verona is especially so taken with this and wants to move immediately like we should move to montreal this is where we want to be mm-hmm. these are who we want to be and it's not that they get disillusioned by learning sort of the sadness at the core of what Tom and Munch are going through, that they've adopted these kids because, in part because she cannot have a child of her own. She keeps getting pregnant and she keeps having these miscarriages that are, like, devastating to the both of them. Uh, she does this really sort of, like, sad pole dance at a at an open open mic for dancing mm-hmm. thing again it's montreal uh, <laughs> anything goes um to this velvet underground song in a way that like it's a real tightrope walk to make that scene work and i think mm-hmm. mendes and melanie linsky together really make that work in a way that is almost improbable i mean like just uh, as as we've all been saying and like finally celebrating her in the past year or so just a fucking tremendous performer i feel like she munch we don't actually get much of this couple before they like go out and it's like messina is the one that like is they're talking about their kids and then they go out and he gets to do this big whole monologue about how, you know, the, um, the syrup on the pancakes is love and you have to get, you have to basically drain the well of love to live your life. And it's a lot of hard work, but like, that's, what's going to make you a strong, happy family. But she has each other in love, but she even has the best line in that scene. Linsky does Mm -hmm. where she says, you have to be so much better than you ever thought you could be. Yeah. And and that really just lands that scene. Um and then Messina talking about the miscarriages I think is also tremendously good and heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. The way he talks about how just like you just don't know what to do with this grief that you have. Um and it's very good and I think one of the things that I love about that is Burton Verona sort of it's a splash of cold water on on what they thought was going to be this fantasy mm-hmm. of what they want their life to be. And it's a splash of cold water in reality. They don't end up rejecting either Montreal or Tom and Munch. They get called away because Bert's brother, uh, his wife has just left him and his daughter. And so they have to go down to Miami to 
sort of check in on his brother. And Verona's so sweet with the daughter, singing Mr. Tambourine Man to her. And Bert and Verona sort of put on this little, like, Show uh, play the with the stuffed animals that I think is very sweet. Um, but Bert gets real spooked by this, because mm-hmm. this idea that one of them could leave. You know what I mean? Either he or Verona, at some point... After wanting this family and after seeming fine, that you could change one day and walk out. And it's out. also the only uh, visit that they take where it's really considered that you as a parent can do something that would really damage your child as a yeah. person, as a yeah. developing emotional, psychological So he sort of person. reels from this, and he asks her to marry him again, and she once again says, no, never. Um, but then they have this really sweet moment on the trampoline where they're lying on the trampoline and they sort of recommit themselves, not just to each other, but to their kid. Mm-hmm. And it's really well written in a way that doesn't go over the top sentimental, but feels like a statement, a restatement of purpose for these mm-hmm. two characters. Well, I think in a lesser movie, too, you have that type of you have that conversation much earlier in the movie and then like the schmaltz of it has to keep like amping sure. up from that type of conversation. I think because that happens later in the movie, like it feels like this kind of, like yeah. you said, a whole like reclamation of their relationship instead yeah. of like a nice sweet scene of this, right. of this couple that like they're going to constantly be having conversations like this for the whole movie, you know? And then, so one of the things that I really love about the movie is I constantly sort of wonder, what is it that finally turns the corner for Verona and makes her decide, we've got, we've got to go visit, we've got to go see my childhood home, and that's where we're going to end up living. And, and I wonder, watching it this time, I wondered if it was that that's the scene in, in Miami where she realizes to herself that like i'm this is i'm all in on this you know what i mean right. like i am i've committed myself to this i'm never going to leave this family and i shouldn't be scared of sort of bringing my new family into what was home for my old family and mm-hmm. sort of bridging that gap and so i believe this place is also in florida right uh yes um, they, next thing we know, and like, interestingly, the next thing we see of them, they're moving. Like, they've got their car, they've got their belongings all strapped to the roof. Like, they have made the decision now to move down here. And the house is sort of introduced quietly and sort of little bits by bits, and you don't ever really get the whole sense of the whole house right away. And it's this gorgeous, beautiful right on the water like home where they open the front doors and then they open the doors to the back porch and you feel the breeze sort of go through the house right and Mm -hmm. it's this like cleansing breeze sort of like moves through the house and sort of passes over them and they just go and they sit out and they overlook the water and she starts to cry and it's the first time she's cried in the movie and he says, I think this place is going to be perfect for us. And she closes it by saying, 
I really fucking hope so. But yeah. they're 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 you know hand in hand, and they're they're committed to this, and it's so beautiful. I think <laughs> I you, don't know. you also skipped over her monologue before they visit her house, where she's just recalling the fruit trees. Yes, yes, um, yes. That, I love that scene that, that she, she does, and her like... sister hung fruit from the trees to to um for the benefit of their dad and say hey you know because uh, the the trees weren't growing fruit and he was frustrated right. by that and um and again so she's able to on her own without prompting bring up a memory from her past which feels like a thing she wouldn't have done at the beginning of the movie yeah. so i don't know i i sometimes feel like i'm a sap for this movie working on me as well as it does mm-hmm. but like it's all there for me like to me like it the math of it tracks like nothing feels like i'm shortcutting my way through this movie and i don't think the movie is shortcutting its way through i'm almost relieved by the simplicity of it um especially on rewatch because i'm just like i don't i mean like it i think it kind of sets itself a low bar and achieves that bar much more like interesting and subtly than you might expect it to be um I don't know. I mean, like, I, sometimes I'm a little burnt out with, like, uh, high ambition, like, comedy type of things where it's just like it get, it puts too much on the movie's plate. Whereas I think mm-hmm. this movie relies heavily on the chemistry of the actors, the kind of simplicity of ideas that are all very relatable to what the frustrations they have with these families and, like, how they see themselves fitting in how they see themselves uh, like fitting in the scheme of like what type of parents they want to be, the type of child they want to raise. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, like it, it, it's not necessarily reaching high, but I do still think that there's a lot of depth in this movie. Yeah. So this movie was released in June. And I think once it got scheduled for June, because this is coming off of Sam Mendes is that a real, like, his careers go in really well. Even, uh, like, American Beauty, right out of the gate, his first feature film, best picture, best director, huge Oscar success. And then he follows that up with Road to Perdition, which gets these very kind of, like, oh, like, accomplished but cold that, you know, we see a lot. Right. But even with that, gets a uh, cinematography win, Paul Newman's nominated, um Jarhead doesn't get anything. We really do need to do Jarhead. Right. Um the 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 Oscar failure of that I think is a story that we should tell then. And then Revolutionary Road is another one where people are like impressive but very like chilly, right? Like yeah. very remote and had to bear the weight of the reuniting of DiCaprio and Winslet. He was also married to Winslet or Mendez, that is. Right. And like just the expectations couldn't be higher for a movie that is very like dark and emotional. It suffers from the confluence of events that brings the reader into 2008's awards Mm -hmm. conversation because if the reader doesn't happen i think kate just wins best actress for revolutionary road like i think it would have been a better oscar and yeah and i don't love revolutionary road but it would be a better oscar i like it a lot um i should watch it again but like 
I wasn't. I wasn't with it. <laughs> You're like, yes. Let me. Let me. Um, yeah, haul down for this bummer sandwich. Um, but like, it's just it's funny that like the the Oscar wasn't for the reader. The Oscar was for Kate. You know what I mean? Yeah, and right. so she was just like she would have won for Revolutionary. Road. And it's yet, just... okay, so that Oscar wasn't like for that performance, and yet the she propelled that movie to a best picture nomination. Granted, it was also directed by Stephen Daldry, who at that point, like, well, and really muscled and with. muscled along by Harvey Weinstein is the other, right. thing. like that right. was the other big thing. Um, so away we go is the year after it's like six months after revolutionary road. Cause mm-hmm. revolutionary road was a very late 2008 release. So, uh, Mendes had two in the chamber essentially. And, I think compared to Revolutionary Road and even compared to like Jarhead and Road to Perdition and American Beauty, Away We Go stands out as small and slight. And you can see why they slotted it in the summer because they were like, we're not going to be able to, you know, make Buoyant much comedy. Hay with this. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because the summer of 2009 also had uh, its fair share of sort of major directors whose movies were I'm thinking mostly of like taking Woodstock, right? Where like taking Woodstock was another summer movie that uh, yeah, that was like late August. And that was again like it's the new Ang Lee movie, but we don't really think it's gonna be a big Oscar play, so we're gonna release it in the summertime. Um sort of similar to Oh, what did I just see? I'm sort of scrolling through the summer releases that year. Summer 2009 was a time, honestly. I'm looking through <laughs> some of these. Uh, oh, The Soloist was the other one I was thinking of. Joe writes The Soloist, another movie. We right, which was to. pushed off of the previous <clears throat> season. Right, that was uh, April that year. But like, okay, so like starting in May 2009, um, we get Eric Zonka's Julia starring Tilda Swinton, a movie that nobody ever talks about anymore but like tilda swinton rules in that movie yeah, tremendous yeah, very in the vein of uh elizabeth moss her smell type yeah. of performance though i think you know the movie itself is not on tilda's level uh ryan johnson's the brothers bloom which was completely uh sort of cast aside even though i really loved it um olivier Assayas's summer hours Masterpiece. Yorgos Lanthimos's Dogtooth. Um, Soderbergh did The Girlfriend Experience. Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus comes out that May. Oh boy. Um, these are just sort of like the auteur stuff. Drag Me to Hell was in May that year. Um, Love that movie. Away We Go is in June. <laughs> my Life in Ruins, Nia Verdalos and my, my Life in Ruins is in June. Um... What else? Oh, Duncan Jones's Moon, another sort of like autory thing. Uh sort of a lot of like atypical summer fair uh that year. <clears throat> Stephen Frears' Cherie. The Hurt Locker, of course, comes out in May that year. Um uh then into or in June that year, rather. Um July is Michael Mann's Public Enemies, which sort of like straddles the line between summer movie and auteur art house sort of thing and kind of the audiences don't really know what to do with it uh 500 days of summer is in july that year in the loop is july that year orphan is july that year um do 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 and then august oh god what is august julie and julia 
Uh, Nora Amazing. Ashland's Julie and Julia. <clears throat> Excuse me. My perf- personal fave and uh, forever love a perfect getaway with Timothy Oliphant <laughs> and Mila Jovovich. I still have to watch that you, movie. It's so fucking fun. It really, really, truly is. Uh, Ponyo is that August. And Inglorious Bastards is that August. And we still haven't gotten to Taking Woodstock yet. Um, but we will get there. Yeah, Taking Woodstock, the very last weekend in August. So, summer two, like 2009, I think in general, is an underrated movie year. Like, there's a lot of really interesting things happening uh, at the margins, at, the le- at least, of that year. And that's really kind of like auteur summer in a way that I uh, that appeals to me. Um, but, like, you can see why Away We Go was not a an awards priority, even though I love it and you love it. I wonder at what point, because what's interesting for Mendez is he, this is his last movie before taking on Skyfall. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and doing the Bond, his Bond movies. Surrendering himself to James Bond for a while. <laughs> even though he only made two of them. Yeah. Um, but it took a long time to make those two movies. Like, that was a mm-hmm. chunk of his career. Yeah. <clears throat> and to the point now where it's like he gets to go and make his, like, you know, vanity project type of things like 1917, Empire of Light, which is opening now. That's right. That's why we're doing this. Yes. Uh, uh, now, Empire of Light. We Did- will see how that movie does. Uh, yes. I wanted more from it. I don't think it's I mean, a bad movie, but I definitely wanted more from it. I like my 19... thing about Away We Go in terms of Mendez's career. That whole like, like I said, I didn't want it to sound like a backhanded compliment, but like the low bar it sets for itself. I think of his filmography, it's towards the top in terms of the movies that I think pull off all of the things it's trying to achieve or most of the things sure 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 whereas like i that's that's one of my things my problems with is a lot of his movies is like i don't know it 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 comes up short those movies come up short in a lot of different ways i felt that about 1917 definitely feel that about empire of light and that yeah I don't know. It's it's throwing in all of these elements doesn't really serve any of them very well. Yeah. The one that it does best is the like the cinematic experience. Sure. You know, the type of thing that a lot of people are rolling their eyes about now, but that movie I think that's the best thing that it has. I'm looking at his filmography. He's directed nine movies. And I just if if I'm ranking them, right? I'm going mm-hmm. Spectre 9. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I would probably go Revolutionary Road 8, Empire of Light 7. Revolutionary Road that low? Yeah. Just in, uh, again, I haven't seen it since 2008, but like, right. I did not care for it. Um, probably provisionally American Beauty 6, and we'll see when I do Brave a rewatch, whether it goes higher or lower. Um... Jarhead 5, 1917, 4, Road to Perdition 3, Skyfall 2, and Away We Go is my favorite of all of them. It's mm-hmm. And it's funny because it's probably maybe his least well-regarded 
globally. Spectre is his least well-regarded globally. I would like, probably have Revolutionary Road or Perdition at the top. At the top. Yeah. Road to Perdition, again, I love that movie. And that's another one where I feel like I'm always defending that movie. Um, it's a super dry movie, but it's dry in a way that I it's like. It's <laughs> so, and it's like, the fact that it looks gorgeous is sometimes held against it in a right. way that I'm just like, but it looks gorgeous. So like, what what's our problem here? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I really like that movie. I also that was quite... a weird movie that they tried to make a summer movie out yeah. of. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, I quite like that one. I quite like 1917. He's an interesting, he's one of those filmmakers who... And it's interesting that he did two Bond movies because that's the closest he's ever come to being an auteur is to do two movies back to back that were that similar, mm-hmm. obviously, in Skyfall Inspector. But he's one of those directors that appeal to me in that it's a high quality and he brings to it a high degree of um, skill, but doesn't have a super strong through line through his career. If right. It's not I like mean, a Paul like, Thomas Anderson, Wes Anderson kind of a thing, right? Where I, you can see like Spy- Skyfall is like the most bespoke Bond movie. Yeah. Um Empire of Light is basically 75% just that type of like sheen and gloss that you are talking about. It is like, you know, yeah. Uh, it, it, it is cinematography in search of a movie. I guess that maybe is the Sam Mendes through line then. Like with the exception like away we go sort of sits outside of this but like everything else there is a polish to everything Mm -hmm. and in some ways it be that becomes part of the narrative in american beauty and revolutionary road whenever he's sort of doing something that like critiques the placid you know veneer that he Mm -hmm. has placed upon it um so other times it's just like jarhead just looks spectacular you know what i mean right and Um, Away We Go is the only one that doesn't feel cinematography forward of all of those movies. I mean, it it makes me wonder... Uh, uh, it, it's always felt strange in his filmography because it feels like the biggest outlier. I, I mean, it, it, to have gone from this to, to Skyfall is uh, kind of weird but at the same time i think a lot of us who like this movie would Mm -hmm. really like to see sam mendez do something on this scale again Mm -hmm. you know because like all of the actors i think are uniformly pretty good (coughs) to great in this movie yeah and like i don't know i think it would be interesting to see mendez do something like this which is maybe why empire of light kind of I wonder if it if that's partly why it disappointed us because like maybe it's anemic on a script level which we could say uh Mendez did the script for that movie and he's mm. not usually a screenwriter. Yeah. Um but like we wanted to see just like an intimate smaller scale drama from him again and it yeah. just didn't live up to like that. I should also say it's I don't mean to sound like I'm slighting the cinematography and the way we go because it is Ellen Karras who has done uh tremendous work in her career. She did the cinematography for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which I really loved, and Summer of Sam, and I shot Andy Warhol and It's just um, a different vibe than it's just a different vibe. the Deacons stuff yeah. and yeah. the Conrad Hall stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Um so 
sorry, back into our little outline. This is Maya Rudolph's first leading role in a movie, which is pretty spectacular. I had kind of forgotten that she, my mind wants me to put her as still on SNL by this point, but she had left SNL in 2007. She sort of frequently comes back and makes guest appearances and has hosted Mm -hmm. a few times since then. Um, But she left as a full-time cast member in 2007. She had been in some small roles. She shows up in her husband, Paul Thomas Anderson's movies, A few times, she is in A Prairie Home Companion, which we've discussed as uh, the stage She's also pregnant in A Prairie Home Companion. She is. Um, And I just... This is is a movie that asked of her something completely different than had been asked of her in her career. And it's really kind of amazing to put Away We Go, line it up next to, like her on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt as I was going to say like Big Mouth. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, she's capable of such tremendous range Mm -hmm. and can be really effective in either way. And we haven't really seen her revisit this register too much, this sort of Verona register too much. And I would love to actually think she's really great in Bridesmaids. She's just like, she is, she does. She doesn't have as much to do, but like, the like wedding lead up scenes, the you know the fights between her and Kristen Wiig. I think that she's just fantastic. Her screaming like, at that bridal shower, "I love my bleached asshole," is <laughs> also like the, the. I mean, we everybody's seen uh, at least I've seen a billion times because I watch it every once in a while just to sort of laugh. The wedding dress, uh, uh. Stomach distress uh, scene in Bridesmaids. Kristen Wiig saying, you're really doing it, you're shitting in the street, is such a great line reading. <laughs> but it's accompanied by the most absolutely defeated look on Maya Rudolph's face. And then Maya does the thing where she just waves the cars past her <laughs> as she's sitting in the street. And she's like, go around me, go around me. It's... Hard cut to them on the bus back where she's like <laughs> covered in sweat, <laughs> just like so uh, uh, dazed, saying how much everybody she in that herself. movie is giving a great performance, down to like Chris O'Dowd and John Hamm. Like every single person in that movie gives a great performance. And that's it's really why kind of I think people don't talk about her performance as much because like it's easy to, you know, yeah. hang your hat on the Oscar nominee or to, Did that like, get. A SAG ensemble nomination? I think so. I think it did, right? Yeah. Good. It should have. Deserved um, it. But, like, in the same way that I think she builds this completely believable sibling relationship with Carmen Ajogo in this movie, it, you see that type of, like, performance and that, you know, natural chemistry in building the friendship of bridesmaid as well. That's like not always the most maybe interesting thing to talk about, Mm -hmm. but like that is actually a skill, you know, to like build this type of relationship on screen that we believe these people have known each other their whole lives. Yeah. That's not, that's not an easy task to do. And I think she makes it look incredibly easy. Uh, Chris, I didn't intend to come into this with a game, but I have a little makeshift game for you, and that oh. is this. 
of the supporting characters in this movie, so everybody who's not Bert or Verona, you have to craft a five-person THR-style roundtable discussion. <laughs> Who are the five characters you choose? The characters, characters. not the... Okay. Yes. Uh, five of them. And then, sidebar, huh. two of them you would go out for drinks with. Oh, okay. I mean, I would be going out with uh, Melanie Linsky and Chris Messina for drinks, obviously. Yeah. My only I mean, my only drawback there is I would want to find a way to invite Carmen the Jogo's character out also. That's true. That is very true. Yeah. Um, I guess I would probably hang out with all of the women, probably. Shocking. <laughs> they are much more interesting. So that's your um, round table, is all of the women? All the women, basically, okay. yeah. So Catherine O'Hara, Allison Janney, Carmen Ajogo, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Melanie Linsky. That's not exactly. bad. That's a good round table. Janney would totally take over that one. Her character would totally take over. There would be, like, is she and Gyllenhaal's character would have a really uh, dark energy between them. They would They not... would agree on more things than you would expect them to agree on, and that would be incredibly scary when that happens. Yes. <laughs> like, is is the truth of that. Yeah. Definitely neither of those characters believe in vaccines. <laughs> no, God, no. That's the... And and from like completely different ends of the spectrum, but like that's the Venn diagram is they intersect on don't believe in the effectiveness of vaccines. <laughs> yes. Um. Oh boy. Okay. So this was actually it was a pretty middling uh, set of reviews for this movie. As I mentioned, sixty seven on Rotten Tomatoes, fifty eight on Metacritic. Roger Ebert really liked it. A lot of other major critics like A. O. Scott and Kenneth Turan did not. It only made $9.4 million domestic at the box office, which... Can you imagine it making that much now, though? No, but it should have made more then. You know what I right. mean? If that makes sense? Like, it, this yeah. is a movie that probably should have made, like, 18? You know, like, double that, probably. I feel right. like 15? Something like that. Um, and then in terms of precursor awards, Maya Rudolph ended up shortlisted for more critics awards than i remembered at the time where she was i want to say like runner up at a, a bunch few of regional, regional stuff she was a nominee with the chicago film critics which we'll get to in a second she was a runner up with st louis and utah film critics and washington dc film critics and she was in the conversation at least enough for that the utah or the chicago film critics which is something we don't talk about as much Chicago film critics are interesting. They do a full set of nominations and then announce like the next day who their winners are. Mm-hmm. And it's not quite as uh, independent minded as like the Boston film critics who really do tend to like strike out on their own a little bit from within, you know, they don't like go like fully off the reservation or anything mm-hmm. like that. But um, Chicago film critics usually tend to be pretty astute with their awards nominations. Their nominees for Best Actress that year, 2009, Carrie Mulligan won for An Education, which again feels very Chicago film critics. Is She was a nominee at the Oscars, but she was not going to be a winner. So she's like part of the discussion, but not your regular choice for winner. Mm-hmm. Like that feels very Chicago film critics. Uh, Meryl Streep nominated for Julie and Julia. She's excellent. Gabourey Sidibe for Precious. Both of those women were nominated for Oscars. And then not Oscar nominees were Maya Rudolph for Away We Go. And then Abby Cornish for Bright Star, making your the beloved Chicago Bright Star. 
part of my heart now. I love that nomination. I Better Best Scott. Actress lineup than the Oscars. Oh, 100% true. Yes, absolutely. Um, again, I'm never going to shade Sandra Bullock for winning an Oscar, but like, yes, this is a, objectively a better lineup than the Oscars right. had. Um, Who among us has uh, much to say at all about The Last Station? <laughs> exactly. A movie that I definitely saw and remember very little about. Right. Um, Away We Go was nominated for the AARP Movies for Grownups Award for Best Comedy, lost to It's Complicated alongside other nominees, Pirate Radio, The Informant, and In the Loop, which I think is a pretty cool it's lineup a good comedy for G's. Like, that's a pretty defensible comedy lineup. More defensible, I think, than the Teen Choice Awards, which nominated Away We Go for Choice Summer Movie Romance. Uh, sure, all the teens. Go alongside and see. I Love You Man, which I do like, My Life in Ruins, yeah. once again, Nia Vardalos comes into play, The Ugly Truth. Ooh. The Ugly Truth is Gerard Butler and. Oh, no! Jennifer That's the movie, the, the Vibrating Underwear. I've never seen The Ugly Truth, so I'm going to take your I, word for I it. I never saw it, but it was in the trailers, and people were like, oh, God. Catherine no. Heigl. It's Catherine Heigl and yeah. Gerard Butler. Ugh. When they were trying to put Catherine Heigl in movies. Yeah. God bless her. Um, all of those movies lost to Sandra Bullock in The Proposal, which was, people forget, a huge hit. Like, right. Sandra Bullock winning the Oscar for Bef- The Blind Side is kind of a little bit owed to how big of a hit The Proposal was. Well, because The Proposal <clears throat> was the highest grossing movie of her career, and then she topped that with mm-hmm. The Blind Side. The Proposal was, hey, remember you like Sandra Bullock? And then The yeah. Blind Side was like, hey, remember you like Sandra Bullock and now she should win an Oscar? Like, that was... Uh, a real one-two punch of the year. And good for her. Again, I love Sandra Bullock. Um, yeah, what else do you want to say about Away We Go as I delve into my notes? Let's talk about this uh, soundtrack a little bit. I definitely owned it. This, I mean, uh, this kind of feels of a piece where it's like you have all the same songs by one artist. Like, of course, there's a there's a movie tradition of it, of things like Harold and Maude, The Graduate, um yeah. that i think is formative for a certain you know yeah like era of filmmaker that mendez would belong in and it kind of made like an aughts resurgence of being really? like a thing i mean juno as well oh that type of soundtrack you mean uh, yes. the type of thing where it's like you have a soundtrack that is the yes. majority one artist you know so you yes. have like a singular voice throughout the whole thing um, yeah I think it's very effective in this. I think uh, Alexi Murdoch's songs convert themselves to score very well. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It is a very, it's very vibesy. It's very sort of, you know, um, plucky guitar, plucky acoustic, you know, guitar kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. He's got a very sort of mellow voice. I think the songs that get featured, which are mostly All My Days and Wait, are both really pretty. And really, I mean the uh, the wait at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Mendez does a. It, it's <clears> like <throat> he almost landed on this song, and it was the perfect thing. And then yeah. maybe the other ones came from there because it feels the rhythm of the shots in this final sequence feels very much attuned to the kind yes. of catharsis that yeah. um, Verona's going through in a way that like. 
I don't, I, I don't feel like it clashes with the performance, but like they're in concert. Rudolph is doing something much more understated than I think the big emotional swell of the song is, but they're complimentary in a way that like, I understand if people don't agree, but like, I, I wouldn't want her performance to be sort of stranded on its own. You know I wouldn't I mean? want her performance to be anything different than what it is. Too. Yeah, and yeah. like I like seeing people that are more like real people that might not have these big, giant emotional outpourings. You know, yeah. she's not that type of person. Well, and I think but, in like, general, the feeling is still a big feeling. So, like the song, yeah, gives that. The rule tends to be you don't want to have your soundtrack telling you too forcefully how to feel and yet i do feel like there's an exception to every rule and i do feel like in this case i appreciate the fact that the soundtrack is doing something is reflecting her emotions in a way that she isn't going to give you and shouldn't give you outwardly right right and well i don't i don't and they work really well together how to feel too no, but it's definitely enhancing my mood. Like, I don't think I like I end up weeping at the end of that movie as I do every single time I see it, probably without that song. I mean, I think that's fair, but I think it's because ultimately what she's going through emotionally is so internal and yeah. she is a particular type of person, you know, mm-hmm. too. So it's like it, that doesn't make her catharsis any less seismic agreed but absolutely i i think what it does is kind of get us on the audience as in the audience on her you know emotional release level you know seeing her finally sit down on that back step and finally sort of let it out a little bit is really really powerful i think and really well done and well uh well waited for i think you talked about like how you can almost feel the breeze passing through yes. the house and like that's almost what like the emotional like the emotion passing through her is like you know it's not mm-hmm. like it's not this big grand like thing that needed release from her it's like almost like a feeling that need to needed to like she's pass through her she's airing the wall she's airing these feelings out you know what i mean she's sort of she's literally like that breeze is kind of passing through her and sort of making space for something new again Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i imagine watching this movie being a person who is about to have a child or my parents had died when i was younger you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like to have any more of a connection to it i i'd be a mess um yeah as it is i just sort of you know sit and watch and I tear up um it's a really wonderful ending to a movie that I really was already liking very much um I'm glad you feel the same way I would have I would have argued my way through a podcast about this movie but I would have had a lot less fun doing it <laughs> we so. already have to argue everybody else who doesn't like this I movie. know we weren't gonna be prone to argue with listen if episode. you are a person who also likes Away we go um just make yourself known in the Twitter comments or something because uh, it's good to know that we have uh, we have support out there. I mean, and again, I do think it's one of, in terms of achieving what it sets out to do, I think it's one of Mendez's most successful movies, personally. Yeah. Um, 
And, like, Krasinski, I'm not against Krasinski in this movie. I do wish that there was someone who I thought was as interesting in that role as, you know, Maya Rudolph. But, like, I don't think he's bad in this movie. I think he's charming. And I think they fit at it. I think they fit at interesting angles in a way where, like, he's he's not insincere, but he sort of goes off on these kind of like tangents and and gets um, a little goofy, for lack of a better term. And she loves him, but also like will roll an eye at him. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that kind of thing, kind of constantly, and. You feel the genuine connection there between them that I don't think there's a way to view, and I've seen some people view this movie as ultimately phony, and I just wholesale reject that because I think yeah. there i I just don't think there's so many things in this movie that ring very true to me, and one of I them think is the, the relationship. if you think that. Uh, my guess is you are probably also focusing so much more of your of your energy and what you think the movie is on all of the people they visit rather than the central couple because like yeah that relationship never feels phony to me yeah. like you could call it annoying if it annoys you that's fine but i don't think it's phony yeah yeah anything before we go into the imdb game um, I love that this is an M for G's nominee for Best Comedy, even mm-hmm. though I don't think anyone in the cast, except for maybe Gaffigan and Janny, are over 50. <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, that's true. Uh, should be a nominee for Best Grown-Up Love Story, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you're gonna go in, go all in. And, uh, yeah. Cast Carmen and Jogo and Maya Rudolph as sisters again. Please do. They're so wonderful as sisters. Cast Maya Rudolph as your lead again. Do an actors on actors of Maya Rudolph and Melanie Linsky at some point, just so that they can reminisce. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. All of it. I want all of it. All right. Chris, why don't you tell our listeners what the IMDb game is? Listeners, uh, we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other to guess the top four titles that IMDb says an actor or actress is the most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that's not enough, it'll just become a free-for-all of hits. Yes. All right, Chris, would you rather give or guess first? Mm, I'll guess first. I have right. to really redeem myself after last week. So okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, I'm um, eager to do it. We've talked about Sam Mendes. Uh, Sam Mendes's. God, I feel like such an asshole. Uh, filmography this week. And one of the films that we both really like very much is Road to Perdition, which got an Oscar nomination for one Paul Newman, his final Oscar nomination. Uh, So I'm going to ask you to give the known four for Paul Newman. HUD. No, not HUD. Uh, Butch Cassidy. No, not Butch Cassidy. Wow! Here to redeem myself, and I immediately... Uh, fail. I think Great. you're gonna. I think once I give you the years, you're gonna be able to get it. So the years Maybe. are 1961, 1982, 1994, and 2002. Did you say 94? Yes, that's nobody's fool. Yes, correct. Oscar nominee for that. You should have won. Um, 
is 61. It's too late to be Cool Hand Luke, I think. Is that The Hustler? It is The Hustler, yes. Two for four. What are my other years? 82 and 2002. 2002 is Perdition. Yes, Road to Perdition. Wow, I wouldn't have guessed that. Um, mm. 82 has to be Color of Money. No, that's 86. Wow, his Oscar win isn't on there. Yeah. Um, okay, so 82, this would have been... Oh, it's The Verdict. It is The Verdict. Yeah. Sidney Lumet's The Verdict. Which he was also an Oscar nominated for, I'm pretty sure. I feel that wasn't that yes. like sort of a comeback for him? Wasn't that his first Oscar nomination in quite a while, I feel like? Um may I'm trying to remember from uh the last movie stars if it was or not. I know that it was like significant. No. Absence of Malice was the year before that. That was the big right. comeback nomination. He hadn't been nominated for an acting Oscar for 14 years. Did you that. watch Last Movie Stars? No, I keep meaning to. I think you'd really like it. I, would I mean, absolutely the, love the it. biggest injustice is that you can't immediately watch every Joanne Woodward movie right there on HBO yeah. Max. I don't yeah. know why not, but... Um, yeah, um, it's, it's really good. No, I, it has such high school theater kid energy too, because you have all of these actors playing, uh, doing like letters and interviews. Yeah, of I gotta other watch it. I gotta do that. Movie stars. All right. I mean, Laura Linney. I'm Ugh. unless I'm misremembering because it's early. Um, <clears throat> she does Joanne Woodward, and it's like my God, <laughs> these they're just yeah. a bunch of like you know, uh, our, our greatest actors, uh, yeah. you know, really pulling out their high school theater kid energy. It's so good. All right. Chris File redeeming himself with Paul Newman um, uh, this week. What do you got? So for, for you, Joe, I have chosen someone. It's very interesting that there's like, you see them in other movies too, but there's like this Brooklyn group of actors who are definitely friends and they star in a bunch of stuff together. Mm-hmm. However, I pulled someone who is also from both the Mendez filmography and married to one of the stars of this movie. I've chosen for you, Mr. Peter Sarsgaard. Peter Sarsgaard. We've never done Peter Sarsgaard. That's very interesting. Yes, not. All right. Okay. Um,. Peter Sarsgaard's kind of tough. Because he's in a lot of movies that you wouldn't think necessarily would be IMDb movies. A lot of his roles kind of blur together. And, like, his bigger stuff... Like, his forays into big-budget action-adventure are stuff like Green Lantern, and I kind of don't think Green Lantern's going to be on there, but I'll put a pin in that. I'm going to guess Shattered Glass. Correct. His, uh... Probably closest to an Oscar nomination. Yeah. Um. What else do we have? Um. Oh boy. Okay. Kinsey. Kinsey. Okay. All right. Now we're cooking. I'm gonna uh, guess. We Green... all know how I feel about him in that movie. I'm gonna guess Green Lantern. God. Damn it, I was trying to make you get stumped and you had it. Yes, Green Lantern is there. Okay, three for three. One more. Not giving you any hints because you don't have anything wrong. I don't have anything wrong yet, but like, ooh, this is a challenge now. Where do I go with this? Peter Green Lantern, which like 
buried him in prosthetics and like no one liked or wanted that movie to begin with I know. now he's just like completely forgotten that he's done you know a dc movie i mean uh marvel no dc you're right that's the lantern is dc um yeah. i'm thinking of because it's green and i when i think of green i think of the incredible hulk uh which is tim roth is <laughs> uh the bad guy in that one in that incredible hulk movie all right anyway 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 um I kind of don't think it's going to be this, but I'm going to guess Jarhead. Incorrect. Okay. All right. What other... It's your first wrong guess. The problem with doing this is with we're in the, the This Had Oscar Buzz space, so all I can think of is... Rendition, and I know it's not rendition. <laughs> um... I mean, I, I want to push you in the direction, but you're not getting wrong guesses yet. If you get the wrong... I mean, like... Uh, I don't know. I'm... Knowing the algorithm, the one that's remaining is the one that I would have guessed first. Oh, interesting. Well, that's... I was almost going to guess The Lost Daughter, but knowing the algorithm, you wouldn't have guessed that because it's a Netflix movie. I can't tell you if it's the Lost Daughter. I know, Daughter I know. I'm just going to guess it, The Lost Daughter. Incorrect. It is okay. not The Lost Daughter. Your year is 2004. 2004. So yes. right after Shattered Glass, right before Jarhead. I should have guessed an education, actually. Um, but I didn't. 2004 is the same year as Kinsey. Correct. What else is it? Actually, the same distributor as Kinsey. Oh, that's not going to help me unfortunately oh god is this like very obvious am i missing something very obvious? i think you're gonna be mad at yourself that you don't have this yeah oh dang is he the lead he is definitely movie? third build he is on the poster um i want to see if he got any critics prizes for this because i feel like he was getting mentioned for this movie somewhat in tandem with Kinsey, but like that never really happened for him for hmm. either of them. He was Golden Satellite Award nominated for this. <laughs> is this oh, a movie I satellite. like? Huh? Is this a movie I like? I do believe this is a movie that you like slash defend against uh, people who don't like it. Well, he's not in Closer. Um... People oh, definitely don't like this movie anymore. And oh, really? Maybe because it's da- it probably dated, but also like it's of a brand of movie that people just don't want to have these movies anymore. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Um, why? The writer-director is also the star of the movie. Oh, boy. Oh, Oh, God. Oh, of course. We mentioned it in this podcast, in this episode earlier. It's Garden State. It is Garden State. Of course. I always forget that he's in Garden State. You're right. Yeah. Really? Yes, because it's all, to me, that movie's all Portman and and then also yeah. Braff. But yeah. I like Sarsgaard in that movie. But I don't I like not like him. I just like, I do forget that he's the third lead <laughs> in that movie. Um, yes, of course. That makes total sense that that's on his IMDb game. Okay. All right. 
See, I was less impressive on that than I thought it was going to be after getting the first three correct. All right, Chris, that is our episode. And uh, thank you for another great one. Uh, should we do another call out for our mailbag? Or is yeah, this- we're doing a mailbag, right. listeners. We have, we're taking your questions through December 20th. Uh, you can go to either our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz, our Tumblr at this had oscarbuzz.tumblr.com, or you can just email us at had oscarbuzz at gmail.com. Once again, we are taking your mailbag questions through December 20th. We are not yet on Mastodon. We are not yet on uh, <laughs> Friendster 2. We're not yet on um, a, re- a resurrected Kazaa that is going to be uh, uh, a chat app instead of uh, song downloading. Something's going to arise from Listen, the ashes. Uh, 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 bring back cults or something. <laughs> um. Sure. Yes. Uh, perfect uh, time for talking it. club the app all right if you want more of this at oscar buzz you can check out the tumblr wait talking club the app just got me i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> oh talking club what barb and star save us from this cultural moment that we're in only okay. you can save us mastodon kind of sounds like talking club or is it discord that i okay discord also like stresses me out because i'm like it's all of these Bros things stress me out, but I will, once I get used to it, it'll feel like second nature, which is how all of these things work with me, right? But Where it's one like, of these apps, like one of these Twitter alternate apps, sounded like Talking Club when like someone explained it to me. Like you have to go into a topic and they'll boot you if you talk about something that's not that talking. That is literally Vanessa Bayer's rules in that movie. It's also the Television Without Pity message board rules. So maybe we're going back to that. Maybe that's what's going to end up saving us all. Who knows? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, listeners, if you want more of this at Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at this at oscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff on talkingclub.com? <laughs> well, I'm on Talking Club at. Um... As uh, Trish Trish fan sixty nine, yeah, <laughs> Trish Vivo. Um, <laughs> uh, as of now, you can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at Chris File. That's F E I L. Yeah, I'm. I will probably I'll stick with Twitter until it becomes a wasteland, and then I'll go to wherever everybody else has already decided they're going to go, and I'll let Maybe them I'll make that decision nowhere. for me. No, I. Seems so. It sounds enigmatic to say that, but there's no way I can fulfill that. I'm not, I'm not that much of a self-possessed person. I can't live up to that. I'm sorry. Uh, I am right now on Twitter at Joe Reed. I'm also on Letterboxd, uh, also at Joe Reed. Reed in those cases spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So get up out of your family bed and write us a nice review, won't you? That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye.